0: Thank you for subscribing to the Parkway Fellowship podcast. Parkway Fellowship, commonly referred to as The Park, is a purpose-driven church in Katy, Texas, recognized for its innovation and rapid growth. Designed for the person who might not be used to attending church, The Park, one of the only purpose-driven churches in the area, has quickly become one of the most popular West Houston churches for people new to their faith, to church, or to living in the Katy area. It is our prayer that God changes your life through this message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan.
1: Good morning. My name is Mike McGowan. I'm the pastor here at Parkway Fellowship. And um, I'm so glad you made it today as we kick off this uh, brand new series, Stories. uh, Because one of the most powerful things that God uses to teach us, to inspire us, to motivate us, to guide us is stories. Uh, And let me tell you a true story from my own life. when I was a teenager uh, and I went to youth camp one summer, the speaker at youth camp that year um, had been an underground missionary in Russia. Now, this was back when Russia was like a true superpower. It was at the height of the Cold War. Um, and like the KGB, which was their secret police. Like if they found you know, like, people spreading the gospel of Christ, like they would be arrested and tortured Um, And, you know, sometimes even killed. Well, this guy had spent two years in Russia as an underground missionary smuggling Bibles into Russia. Well, sure enough, one day he got picked up by the KGB. And he had been taken to an interrogation room where they um, commenced to beat him and torture him. And interrogate him for about six hours, and he had never given up. He he just simply did not give up any information. And after six hours of that, like the interrogators, they left the room uh, to I guess to just go figure out what in the world they're going to do with this guy. Well, after they left, a new guy came in that he'd never seen before. He came in, he uncuffed him from the chair, didn't say a word, uncuffed him, let him out another door and into the alley. And let him go. And the speaker said, You know, he'd never seen, never seen that guy before. And he says, You know, he, his thought is that that guy really was an angel in disguise sent by God to free him because he thought he was going to be in prison for the remainder of his life. And I remember as a teenager listening to that story and just going, Wow, that guy is so. Bold for Christ. I want to be more like that. And as sure as I'm talking to you today. And as clearly as I'm talking to you. It was in that moment that I heard God speak to me. And God spoke to me and said. I want you to be that bold for me. I want you to be one of my pastors. And it was in that moment. That I knew what I was going to do for the rest of my life. God used that story to inspire me, to change me, to speak to me. My life has never been the same since. And I think all of us at some point in time, we've all heard a story. Or we've heard what someone has said. And we've been inspired and we just say, wow. I want to be more like that, because God knows that stories inspire us, they teach us, they motivate us, they encourage us, they make us want to make some changes in our lives and you know and as we look at stories, uh, um, <clears throat> you know God uses stories to teach us about Him and how He works in the world and how He works in our lives. Stories, um, they motivate us. We remember them. We tell them. We retell them. We go back to them over and over and over again. Look, I mean, my story was from after my freshman year in high school about what happened at youth camp, and I'm still retelling that story today because the Lord uses stories. And so in this series, we want to look at Several stories, and stories that are going to make us go, Wow, I want to be more like that. Because the stories we're going to look at are going to motivate us, inspire us, change us, and teach us. And so that brings us to our story today. Our story today is about a biblical character named Ehud, okay? Now, if you're looking for a great biblical baby name, go with David, okay? (laughs) Don't go with Ehud, because that makes junior high, like, really long for some poor little guy, all right? So, um, but uh, Ehud, let me set this story up for you before we get started. Ehud was a judge, okay? Now, judges were different in the Bible than judges in our society today, okay? Judges in the Bible... They were the military and spiritual leaders of the nation, um, sent by God to deliver people from oppression. And because they were military leaders, like when they would go into battle, I mean, they would have um, they would have like a battle standard, you know, much like these standards that we have up here today. And they would carry these things into battle with them. Okay, now a judge was different from a king in that a judge would never leave a successor. Like, he could never leave his position of authority to his son. Um, So they were different. God would just simply appoint another judge, all right? So, um, and I I wanted to look at Ehud today. I felt like God wants to look at Ehud because Ehud is a lesser-known Bible figure, but I'm telling you, the lessons we get from him are amazing. So, Um, What are the lessons that I can learn from the story of Ehud and as we read the story? So what's the first lesson I can learn? Pull out your outline and here's uh, here's your first filling. Here's the first lesson. Number one, I need to allow bad circumstances to bring me closer to God. First lesson we learn is I need to allow bad circumstances to bring me closer to God. The story of Ehud is found in Judges chapter 3. Here's the first part of the story, beginning verse 12. It says this. is once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. That's actually the city of Jericho, all right? So you may write that in there somewhere. It's the city of Jericho. Verse 14. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Now I want you to look at this. God gave Eglon, the king of Moab, which was one of Israel's sworn enemies, he gave him power over Israel. Now what I want you to notice is this. It's that God did this. God brought Israel under the control of an evil king. And he let it remain that way for 18 years. Why? It's because the people of Israel had departed from God. And we know from uh, other contexts that they were worshipping idols and their hearts were no longer fully devoted to the Lord. And look, and we're going to find this out in a minute, but God allowed them to be subject to Eglon, this Moabite king, not to punish Israel, but to use those bad circumstances to bring them back to him in hopes that they would... Turn away from worshiping these idols of wood and stone and turn back to God. That was the point, okay? And get this, it took Israel 18 years to decide to turn back to God. 18 years. Ironically, the judge that was in power right before Ehud, almost the same circumstance, the people had turned their hearts away because of idols, it only took them 8 years to turn back to God then. Look at the story real quick. It's, it's, I wrote it there for you. It's in verse 7. Previously it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is before Ehud. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. So that he sold them into the hands of Kushan of uh, Rishatham, uh, Rishatham. Sorry, that's hard to pronounce. Uh, King of Aram Naharim. To whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz. See, before, it took them eight years to turn back to God. Now, under Ehud, it takes them 18 years, more than twice as long. I mean, you'd have thought it would have taken them half as long, right? But their hearts had become hard. And so it took some bad circumstances for them to finally turn their hearts back to the Lord. So, here's the lesson. When bad things, or what does what this all this mean for me? Well, it means this. It means that well, sometimes, and, and, and it's just sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes, when bad things are happening, bad circumstances are happening in your life, and everything seems to be going wrong, God might be allowing those bad circumstances to turn your heart back to Him. Now, listen, don't misunderstand, okay? Just because bad things are going on in your life doesn't necessarily mean that you've already turned your heart to the Lord away from God. And also, if things are going right, it doesn't mean necessarily that your heart is... You know, going right with God. All I'm saying is that sometimes, sometimes God allows bad circumstances in your life and in mine to get us to turn our hearts to Him. So what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. When things are going bad in your life. Stop and ask yourself, Is my heart fully devoted to God? Just use those bad circumstances. Just stop and say, Is my heart fully devoted to God? But you know, it could be that your heart has drifted. It could be that your heart has drifted towards making more money or acquiring more stuff Or achieving more, or traveling more, or you know, climbing the ladder, or maybe it's drifted so that you know you're so deeply enmeshed and involved in all of your kids' activities that you don't go to church very often and you don't read your Bible anymore. I mean, it could be anything. It could be anything. But here's the point: ask yourself: Is my heart fully devoted to the Lord? And if you can be honest enough with yourself and say, you know what? It's really not. Then allow God to use those bad circumstances to do what the Israelites did. To cry out to Him and make a change. Now look, I know this is a hard truth to hear. Because nobody ever wants to admit that whatever's going on in life might be their fault. I mean, nobody wants to admit that. But the point is not to you know, assign blame. Or to assign fault. The point is to turn back to God. So get your eyes off of yourself and make it all about you. And get your eyes saying, okay God, I'm going to allow you to use this circumstance to turn me and my life and my heart back to you. And look, if you realize that that's you, do what the Israelites did. Cry out to God and don't wait eight years to do it. Don't wait 18 years to do it. Turn back to God now. That's what He wants you to do. Okay? All right. There's a second big life lesson that we can learn from the story of Ehud, and that's this. Second big life lesson is this I need to use my unique abilities for God, I need to use my unique abilities for God. God. Okay. The story of Ehud picks up in verse 15. It says this, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. That's them turning back to God, like we just talked about. And he gave them a deliverer. Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Ehud had made a double-edged sword, about a foot and a half long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. Okay? Gotta love the Bible, right? Okay? Now, the Bible goes out of the way to say that Ehud was a lefty. Okay? Now, in the Bible... In Bible times, just like it was in the 50s and 60s here in the United States, being a lefty was undesirable. And so if a child was a lefty, they would do everything they could to make him into a righty. Okay? Now, I don't know why that was undesirable. I mean, so don't ask. Like, I have no idea. Okay? I mean, I'm just telling you, that's just the way it was. But, for Ehud, being left-handed turned out to be a great thing. Okay? Because... Um, Ehud had a sword. It was about eighty to eighteen inches long. Um, I brought a sword up here with me today. This sword is actually—it's real. This sword is actually twenty inches long because I just couldn't find the one that was eighteen. So this is close enough. you get, get the idea. So what Ehud did was—was was he took this sword and he strapped it to his right thigh. Now this served him well because since literally. Everybody was right-handed. Normally, you would take the sword and draw it like this if you're doing battle. So nobody would have expected a left-handed guy to have a sword and do this. So when he had strapped it to this side, when he went in to see Eglon, they would have searched him and all of his party, and they would have searched his left leg looking for a sword from a right-handed person. But because he was left-handed... They obviously didn't think to search this side. Otherwise, he never would have gotten in. You see how God ordained it was that he was a lefty? I'm telling you. I mean, it really is is a great thing. He never would have gotten in his presence if he hadn't been a lefty. So, here's the point. God's given you some unique abilities. I mean, I don't know what they are. Maybe it's that you are a lefty. You know? Maybe it's that you can paint. Maybe it's that you can write. Maybe it's that you can program. Maybe it's that you're an astute business person. I mean, maybe you're like hyper-organized so that like, people make fun of you for it. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I don't know what your skill, talent, or ability might be, but I'm telling you, God has given you something. And whatever that unique ability is... You need to allow God to use it for His purposes in your life. Because after all, He's the one who gave it to you. So He's got a plan to use it, right? And who knows how God might want to use your unique abilities. But you will never know unless you allow God to use them. So would you be willing to pray a very simple little prayer? very simple little prayer I want you to learn to pray is this. Pray this. Lord, I don't know what I can do for you, but whatever I get the chance to do, I'll do it. Let me repeat it. Lord, I don't know what I can do for you, but whatever I get the chance to do, I'll do it. Because, see, when you get the chance to do something and you just start, you try it out, sometimes you discover how certain unique abilities you have can be used by God. I mean, I remember my first time of leading a Bible study. I first got asked to lead a Bible study. It was a point in time when I was in high school. Our Bible study leader couldn't be there for what, I don't remember why. So they just asked me to sub and fill in. I'd never done it before. And so instead of like, whoa, I'm a little too scared. I don't want to do that. I instead, I seized the opportunity and that was how I got my start. And so, you never know what God might want to do through your unique ability. But you have to seize the opportunities whenever He brings them your way. Would you be willing to do that? Okay. Here's the third lesson. Number three is this. I need to make a plan against the sin in my life. I need to make a plan Against the sin in my life. Alright. Let's read about when lefty let fatty have it. Alright, here it is. Alright. I was waiting to say that all morning long. Alright. Verse 18. Here's... This is unbelievable. You're not... This is unreal. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way the men who had carried it. At the idols near, near Gilgal, he himself turned back and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. The king said, quiet! And all his attendants left him. Because remember, it's like a secret message. So, Ehud then approached him while he, was a city, while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his summer palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade which came out his back. Ehud, get this, Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat closed in over him. Right? Oh my goodness. I love the Bible. Okay. (laughs) Then Ehud went out to the porch, he shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said, He must be relieving himself in the inner room of the house. Obviously, wanting to not walk in on that. They waited to the point of embarrassment. But when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There they saw their Lord fall to the floor, dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the idols and escaped to S- uh, Syrah. Then, I'm sorry, when he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills, with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down, and taking possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab, they allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. None a man escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. Wow. What a story. You know, I want you to notice. Ehud had a plan, okay? He had a plan. He had planned to strap the sword to his right thigh, He planned to hide it under his garment so that it would not be found. He planned to make sure that he was part of the group that took the tribute to Eglon. He planned planned that when he sent the guys away, that he was going to go back. He planned what he was going to say to the king so that he could have have entrance and everybody else would get sent out. He planned to follow through and not chicken out. He planned... um, Uh, He planned to lock the doors behind him so that there would be a delay with the body being found. He planned his escape. He planned how he was going to lead the rebellion against Moab. And the whole thing was incredibly successful. And it was incredibly bold. So for us, what is the enemy of God In our lives. The enemy of God in our lives is sin. Specifically, sinful habits. And if you're ever going to overcome a sinful habit, you have to make a plan. Okay? You have probably already tried just trying harder. Okay? Trying harder is not going to work. If it was, it would have already worked. It's not enough. You have to make a plan if you're going to be successful. Okay, so let's just say that your um, let's just say that maybe the sinful habit that you struggle with is losing control of your anger. Okay, and you, this would apply for anything, but let's say it's just lose control of your anger. If if you were to make a plan of how to overcome that, what would that look like? Well, I actually sat down this week and I thought, okay, you know what. What might a sample plan look like? Okay, so I wrote out a sample plan. I just want to read you what the plan is. Um, A sample bold plan might be this if it's overcoming anger. Number one, make sure you get enough rest at night because you know you're more irritable when you're tired. Number two, pre-plan how you're going to respond when something goes wrong. Literally, plan out and practice what you're going to say. Number three. Plan to walk away and cool down so that you can come back and deal with it later. Number four. If there's one person that especially sets you off, plan not to be around that person. Okay? Very simple. Okay? Number five. If that person is your wife, scrap number four. Okay? (laughs) Instead... Plan to say something nicer every day so that you can begin to develop a different pattern. Number six, plan to read the Bible every day so that God can begin to transform your heart and mind. Number seven, plan to be around people who can help you. And that might mean seeing a Christian counselor. Look, I just gave you seven specific things to do to defeat a specific sinful habit. The point is, you have to make a plan, okay? Look, and if you need to adjust it along the way, so what? Adjust it along the way, big deal. But look, if you don't come up with a plan, you're never going to win. You have to literally sit down and write it out, all right? And let me add this. Most sinful habits, you will never overcome alone. You need the help of other people. Look, Ehud needed the help of other people. He needed other people to help him take the tribute. He needed other people to help him lead the rebellion against Moab. Ehud did not try to do everything all by himself. And neither can you. Inside your catalog today, or inside your bulletin today, you have a small groups catalog for the summer semester. Okay? Now look, here's the temptation for you. And I say temptation because the devil would like nothing more than to isolate you from other Christ followers. The temptation for you is is to say this. Well, you know, I mean, we're like so busy this summer. We're so in and out. I know we did a small group last spring. I mean, we even did one in the fall. So you know what? Let's just take the summer off and not sign up. That's a bad idea. Okay? That's a terrible idea. Look, even if you can only make half the small groups during the summer, that's better than making no small groups during the summer. Right? Okay? Look, here's the thing. You need to be around other people they are going to be a source of encouragement, a source of godly input that can help you see some things and maybe can help you overcome some of these things that are in your life. Look, and at Parkway Fellowship, that happens in the context of a small group, all right? Look, not signing up for a small group, that's not bold. That's being careless about your own personal spiritual growth. Look, here's the thing. That's the very kind of thing that causes people to drift away from God. Look, the Israelites, they allowed their hearts to drift away from God. Don't allow that to happen to you by making excuses for not signing up for a small group for the summer. Look, being a part of a small group puts you around other Christ followers that can help inspire you, guide you, motivate you help you, teach you, okay? Being in a part of a small group is an indicator that you are fully committed to God, that your heart is fully committed to Him because you're wanting to be around all those other Christ followers. They're gonna help you and you can help them because you're all serious about following the Lord. My friends, that is bold. That is part of making a plan to overcome things in your life. See how it works? Okay. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody. Pull out your connection card. I want you to hold it right next to your message notes. And I want you to, on your notes and on your card, take these take the next steps so you feel like God's asking you. Here's number one. Sign me up for a small group this summer. Now look. Beside each small group is a code. Okay? The code is written in blue. Write the code on the line. And if you don't know, look, during this next song, when Pat and the crew are up here, scan the catalog and write it in, okay? You have permission to do that during the song, all right? All right. Number two, sign my teenager up for a small group this summer. Now, you need to put your kid's name, because, like, we don't know your kids' names, put your kid's name and the code, okay? If they're a teenager, all right? Now, listen. We don't do small groups for children in the summertime. Instead, we do like really big events like VBS and children's camp, those kinds of things. So make sure your kids are at those big events, all right? Uh, Number three, I will sit down and make a plan to overcome that simple habit I've been wanting to overcome for a long time now. Would you make that decision? Literally, you're going to sit down, you're going to write out a plan. Would you make make that call for your life? Number four, I will pray, Lord... I don't know what I can do for you, but whatever I get a chance to do, I'll do. That's that little prayer. Would you be willing to pray that? Number five, I commit to let God use any unique ability I have. You might not even know what it is, but would you commit to let him use it? Number six, I will allow bad circumstances to bring me closer to God, not push me farther away. Would you be willing to make that commitment now? Even if you're not going through something bad, make the commitment now so that if it ever happens, this is your posture. This next one. I'll start reading through the book of Judges. We're going to be in the book of Judges for almost this entire series. Not next week, but all the other weeks we will. So start reading through it. Man, it's incredible. You'll love it. But this last one. I want to become a Christ follower today for this first time in my life. If you've never become a Christ follower, you know what? Maybe God would want to start writing your story today by becoming a christ follower yourself there's a simple prayer at the bottom of your message notes if you've never prayed that prayer and you're willing to become a christ follower today pray that prayer but check the box because i'm going to mail you some free stuff in the mail i also want you to pick up a new believer packet it's on a little table before you walk outside of each of these doors let me pray for you as pat and the worship team come back up father i thank you for these stories that you're leading us into for this series Lord, I really thank you for Ehud, and I know that he's there in your presence now, and uh, he is just as brave and bold now as he was when he was on this earth. So Lord, I ask that you would take these lessons from his life, and you would deposit them in our hearts, and make us bold for you as well, and that you would use us to accomplish great things in this world because of this story. And so, Lord, I ask you to do all of this in Jesus'
0: name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. Our prayer is that God has given you at least one next step to take today in your walk with Christ. For more information about Parkway Fellowship or to contact us, visit www.parkwayfellowship.com. To talk with a pastor about becoming a Christ follower for the first time, you can call our offices at 832-222-9282.